Dedication in Chapter One of He. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Publishers' Interjections, read by Julie Mariam. Editor's Notes, read by Niru Ayur. He by Andrew Lang and Walter Harry's Pollock. Dedication. She, to H. Ryder Haggard. Not in the waste beyond the swamp and sand, the fever-haunted forest and lagoon, mysterious core, thy fanes forsaken stand, with lonely towers beneath the lonely moon. Not there doth Asha linger, ruin by ruin, spelling the scriptures of a people banned. The world is disenchanted, over soon shall Europe send her spies through all the land. Nay, not in core, but in whatever spot, in fields or towns, or by that insatiate sea, hearts brood o'er buried loves and unforgot, or wreck themselves on some divine decree, or would o'erleap the limits of our lot, there in the tombs and deathless dwelleth she. Dedication Core January 30, 1887. Dear Alan Quartermain, you, who with others have aided so manfully in the restoration of King Romance, know that His Majesty is a merry monarch. You will not think, therefore, that the respectful liberty we have taken with your wondrous tale, as Pamela did with the 137th Psalm, indicates any lack of loyalty to Our Lady Asha. Her beauties are beyond the reach of danger from burlesque, nor does her form flit across our humble pages. May you restore to us yet the prize of her perfections, for we, at least, can never believe that she wholly perished in the place of the pillar of fire. Yours ever, two of the Ama Logrola. Chapter 1 Editor's Introduction as I sat one evening, idly musing on memories of roars and boars, and contemplating the horns of a windigo I had shot in Labrador, and the head of a moo-cow, A literary friend to whom I have shown your manuscript says a windigo is Ojibwe for a cannibal. And why do you shoot poor moo-cows? Mere slip of the pen. Meant a cow moose. Literary gent, no sportsman all right from canada i was roused by a ring at the doorbell the hall porter presently entered bearing a huge parcel which had just arrived by post i opened it with all the excitement that an unexpected parcel can cause and murmured like thackeray's sailor-man claret perhaps mm, i hope it was a mummy case by jingo this was no common or museum mummy case the lid with the gilded mask was absent, and the under half or lower segment painted all over with hieroglyphics of an unusual type, and green in color had obviously been used as a cradle for unconscious infancy. A baby had slept in the last sleeping place of the dead. What an opportunity for the moralist! But I am not a collector of cradles. Who had sent it, and why? The question was settled by an envelope in a feminine hand, which, with a cylindrical packet, fell out of the mummy case, and contained a letter running as follows. Lady Bettis, Oxford. 
my dear sir have you not forgotten me and my friend leonora odalit the mummy case which encloses this document is the cradle of her ancient race we are for reasons you will discover in the accompanying manuscript about to start for treasure island where if anywhere in this earth ready money is to be found on easy terms of personal insecurity oh confound it i cried here is another fiend of a woman sending me another manuscript they are always at it wants to get into a high-class magazine as usual and my guess was correct the letter went on you who are so well known will have no difficulty in getting the editor of the nineteenth century or the quarterly review or bow bells to accept my little contribution i shall be glad to hear what remuneration i am to expect and checks may be forwarded to yours very truly mary martin p s the mummy case is very valuable please deposit it at the old bank in the high where it will represent my balance m m now i get letters like this not usually escorted by a mummy case about thrice a day and a pretty sum it cost me in stamps to send back the rubbish to the amateur authors but how could i send back a manuscript to a lady already on her way to treasure island here perhaps i should explain how mary martin as she signed herself came to choose me for her literary agent to be sure total strangers are always sending me their manuscripts but mrs martin had actually been introduced to me years before i was staying as it happened at one of our university towns which i shall call oxford for short not that that was really its name walking one day with a niece a scholar of lady betty's hall we chanced to meet in the high two rather remarkable persons one of them was the very prettiest girl i ever saw in my life her noble frame marked her as the victor over girton at lawn tennis while her pince-nez indicated the student she reminded me in the grace of her movements of the artemis of the louvre and the psyche of naples while her thoughtful expression recalled the celebrated reading girl of donatello only a reading girl indeed could have been as she was reader in english literature on the churchton collins foundation who is she i said to my friend the scholar of lady betty's what a lovely creature she is who that she replied with some tartness well what you can see in her i don't know that's leonora odolite and the lady with her is the lady superior of lady betty's they call them pretty and the proctor my friend went on as mrs martin polly they call her too has been proctor twice i say you know keep clear of improbabilities no one was ever old enough to have been proctored twice that's all you know about it why i shall bring in a character old enough to have been proctor a thousand times now nobody could have called polly bewitching her age must really have been quite thirty-five i dislike dwelling on this topic but she was short dumpy wore blue spectacles a green umbrella a red and black shawl worsted mittens and uncompromising boots she had also the ringlets and other attractions with which french art adorns its ideal englishwoman at my request i was introduced but presently some thirty professors 
six or seven senior dons and a sprinkling of heads of houses in red and black sleeves came bounding out of the university sermon and gathered around the lovely leonora the master of st catherine's was accompanied by a hitherto unattached student who manifestly at once fell a victim to leonora's charms this youth was of particular aspect he was a member of the nearly extinct boschman tribe of cocoatinoland his long silky hair originally black had been blanched to a permanent and snowy white by failures in the attempt to matriculate at belloyal he was short not above four feet nine and was tattooed all over his dark but intelligent features when he was introduced i had my first opportunity of admiring leonora's extraordinary knowledge of native customs and etiquette let me present to you said the master of st catherine's the boschman chief ustani you astonish me answered leonora with a smile that captivated the boschman it is a rule among the tribes of cocoa tinaland and in africa generally to greet a new acquaintance with a verbal play on his name is it this bona fide all right see she page one hundred and forty five aisha's elegant pun on holly it's always done pun i mean owing to our insular ignorance and the difficulty of the task this courtesy had been omitted at oxford in ustani's case even by the professors of comparative philology and the learned keeper of the museum from that hour to another which struck later when he struck too eustani was leonora's slave i had no further opportunity of conversing with leonora or polly nor indeed did i ever think of them again till polly's letter and mummy case recalled them to my memory perhaps for pretty leonora's sake i did after all take up and open the vast cylindrical roll of m s don't you think it would stand being cut a little we shall see in the mummy's case dawn found me still reading the following record of unparalleled adventure there is just one thing that puzzles me polly and leonora have gone no man knows where and taking everything into consideration it may be a good two thousand years before they come back ought i not then to invest in my own name the princely check of the intelligent publishers end of dedication and chapter one Recording by Dana Moylinger and David Lawrence.